So there I was, Austin, Texas. I was at a BMX bike dirt park. It's not really a park. It's where a bunch of guys had made with shovels and with equipment these jumps in which BMX guys ride their bikes and they jump into the air. And if you, if you know me, you know who I'm with. His name is Johnny Hawk. And almost all of my adventures start with me and Johnny were doing this. And so this is another one. I was with Johnny, and this was particular because usually at a BMX bike, he rides his bikes and I read my books and I kind of wait for him to be done. And then we go on about our business. But this one was particularly different because he actually had two bikes. He brought one of his bikes to Austin to get fixed or repaired or something like that. And so he was like, hey, Kyle, why don't, why don't you ride the BMX bike? And I was like, okay, this is different. So I get on the bike and I'm like, I know how to ride a bike. You know, the old adage is, it's like riding a bike, but this was not like riding a bike, but I start doing it and I start riding around and doing a little bit of the little bunny hills and the hops. And I'm like, this is fun. I see why you like it. Then I see all these guys and they're just doing these big 10 foot jumps and these eight foot jumps and these these awesome ramps. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just looking over at that hill. I see you, Hill. Why are you looking at me like that? I'm looking at the hill. The hill's looking at me. How are you doing? And then that hill started to talk a little differently. And I said, all right. I could do this. Johnny's doing it. I could do it. Yeah. Because that how that, that's how that works. And so I go for it. I just, for some reason, something inside of me, I just gassed it and went for the hill. And I gassed it with all my speed. And I would go up the ramp. And I go up the, and I get in the air. I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And at that moment, slow motion, time stopped. At the apex of my jump, it's just taking too long. You have made a mistake. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a savior. Right now, I commit my hands, myself into your hands because I'm about to enter your kingdom. I hit the earth. Bike goes that way. Shoes go that way. Kyle goes into the earth with like a thump. Like when you get the secondary thump, like when you hit once and then hit again and you start and, and all the air is knocked out of you. It's like when God breathes over Adam and breathes the breath of life back into him. <gasps> Finally got my wind back and then I, I, I did the toe test. Anybody ever done the toe test? You ever fallen and go, left toe? Okay. Right toe? Did the toe test. Somehow hobble back into the car, and for two days I'm laid up in the bed. I can't move. Slip discs, messed up back. My back was so messed up that it's literally sweating. Like it, it's cold, you know. I have AC on in the house, but I'm just soaked in sweat because my back had like, I didn't need a hot pad because I had a back. Some of you might have experienced that. Then the phone rings. 
And it's the other adventurous guy, John Van Pei. Hey, Kyle, the Guadalupe River is at 400 cubic feet a second. Do you want to go whitewater canoeing? And I do what any young 20-year-old does. Take a whole bunch of Tylenol and smash a Red Bull. <laughs> Mistake. You, you learn the wisdom when you get older. So I, I get in the canoe for some reason. I don't know why I'm in the canoe now with John. I guess I was thinking I was going to, oh, you know, you know, you got to do your, your stretches and work it out. Like, what do they call that? Um, physical therapy. I'll just do my physical therapy in the whitewater canoe. So I'm working it out and I'm going, and we're going down the rapids and it's fun. I have a great time. We do great. We go through all of the craziness and almost die again. But hey, that's another story for another time. And then I get to the tent and I forgot to bring my sleeping pad and we're camping. So that means sleeping on Texas Hill Country Rock. And it was about five o'clock in the morning that I realized I was mortal because at five o'clock in the morning, the birds start chirping. I'm in this situation where I wake up and I try to roll over. I'm like, oh man, let me just adjust. Brain is sending the signals to the legs to move. They're not moving. My back completely locked up. My discs were out of alignment. I'm sending the signals to move my legs. They're not moving. It was the most scary feeling I've ever had in my life because I was telling my legs to do something and they didn't listen. I thought I was in serious trouble. The guy's like, Kyle, get out of the tent. Guys, I don't know how to say this, but I, I can't get out of the tent. I, I'm trying. I'm like, I'm a tough guy. I played football and rugby, but I'm like telling my body to do something and my body's not listening. It's not, it's not complying. Like I'm lifting my leg. It's just not working. I, I remember the seriousness with the two guys lifted me up out of the tent. And I remember the look in the eyes and my look and I just this desperate situation. I'm like, oh no. And it just so happens, luckily, fortunately, thank God that there was a chiropractor on the canoe trip because that just happens, right? <laughs> that just happens. And so there I'm in the picnic table in the middle of the park and he's like snap, crackle, popping me, you know? Like he's like, lift your leg here. Like my, my leg has like never been in that angle and by the mercy and grace of God, we'll never go back to that angle ever. And he's cracking me and snapping me. And I was able to like get down the river and continue. But I never forgot. I never forgot being in that desperate situation, having no strength left, completely unable to do anything, no ability, no strength. And I'm relying solely on the others. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter three, and we are going to read the story of Peter and the crippled man at the beautiful gate in Jerusalem. Starting in verse one of Acts chapter three, we're continuing our Acts of the Holy Spirit, Acts of the Apostles series, and we're going to be reading Acts chapter three. For those of us at home, make sure you get out your Bibles and follow along. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. And he asked alms, that means for money, from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked him for alms. 
And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from him. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, praising God. And all the people saw him. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew it was he who was sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. The first thing I want to point out is the companionship of Peter and John. They were friends and fishermen prior to the rabbi coming into their life But through the majesty and beauty of friendship with Jesus, they grew greater and greater. Their companionship grew and grew. They had fellowship with the Father and with each other. They were always seen together in the New Testament. They were companions. Jesus restores friendship and fellowship. If you know, this is the birth of the ministry of of the church in Jerusalem. You see, Jesus says, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we're looking here at the start of the ministry of Jerusalem. Last Sunday, John did a wonderful job talking about Pentecost and how the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, came upon the 120 and they spilled out into Jerusalem preaching the gospel and the church was added by 3,000 in one day. That was the first cataclysmic Pentecostal event in the history of the church. And then that chapter ends with this statement. And then the apostles began to do all kinds of noteworthy and wondrous signs and miracles. And this is the next miracle. This is in fact the first miracle, which is incredibly significant because Jesus says, it's good that I go away. He looks at his disciples and says, it's good that I go away. Now, I, if I would have been there, it would have been like, no, not good. Need you. Don't have this. Can't do this. Never done that. Never even thought about doing that. And yet Jesus says, it's good that I go away. For if I go away, I will send one of the same kind, a comforter, a comforter who will come alongside and give you strength, a paraclete, an advocate, a helper, the spirit of God, the same spirit that anointed Jesus of Nazareth and he went around doing good, healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, the same spirit that was upon him could be upon you. That's the point of the Acts of the Apostles. They called it the Acts of the Apostles because it was the works of Peter and John. It's usually their miracles that are recorded. Some of the earliest manuscripts of this work was that it was the acts of the Holy Spirit. And note that there's no amen at the book either. 
So that it's good that I go away because the same spirit that was on Jesus, he says, he will come upon you. Peter tells us this Pentecost happens and now there's this situation and I want us to think about it. That man had been sitting at that gate for 40 years. That's a desperate situation. That's a rhythm. That's a cycle. That's brokenness, despondency, helplessness. Can you see him? You need to see him, folks. You need to see him through the, those kinds of eyes of compassion. 40 years. Now know this. This will help you understand and give you a sense of sympathy. Leviticus did not permit him to enter in. He could never worship. He could never give. He could never go sing songs. He could never praise. He's always on the outside, never on the inside. He's never worshiping. And every day he sees all of the religious people walk by him. And they give him tribute, copper and coin. Oh, here's some money. I'm sorry for your trouble. I have to go in to be with God. Imagine that, what that does to your heart every day, every day, hour upon hour, season upon season. See the religious people with all their prayers and prominence and circumstance, all of their robes, all of their garments, all of their extravagance. Oh, blow the trumpet, but I'm here. Until one day, two simple fishermen but fishermen who had been with Jesus. Silver and gold I do not have. You notice that exchange. Look at me. Look at me. How many people, you've been there, you see the person in a desperate situation, whether it's the homeless person on the side of 1604 looking for money for methamphetamine, whether it's the person, you don't want to make the eye exchange. Because you know that there's something attached to that, that if you make eye contact, there has to be that exchange. But the gospel says, look at me. Eye contact. And this is why. Because there was someone always watching that beggar. There was someone whose eyes were always upon him. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are upon the earth, beholding both the evil and the good. Jesus says that a sparrow falls not to the ground unless your heavenly father sees it. And I believe what happened is that Peter and John, for the first time, were able to see through the eyes of Jesus. And just as Jesus looked on the multitudes and had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd, and then great power came upon him to heal they, through the compassion of Jesus, received an overwhelming surge of the power and faith of Jesus and the Spirit of God, and by faith in who Jesus is, said, rise up and walk. And the man was completely, miraculously healed, and the city turned into a boil. It turned into a wondrous riot. Let's go back to the 11th verse. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when people saw it, he responded to the people. This is where it gets fun. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? 
or why do you look so intently at us as though it was by our own power, our godliness, we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers, our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and just and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised up from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through the soundness, excuse me, yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. Then just for the sake of time, if you move down He talks about Moses and Abraham and the prophets and and Samuel. And then in the last verse is one of the most important verses of the passage. He says, to you first, God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning every one of you away from your iniquities. It's the most important verse, I think, that God came to bless you. Did you know that? Jesus It's God's blessing for you. God the Father came to bless you by sending his son Jesus. God wants to bless you. Now, some of you that might sound like uh, that I'm a prosperity preacher by saying that. And if that's the case, you know that you haven't been around for a while because most people don't consider me a prosperity preacher. But did you see what the blessing is? Look at the verse, folks, that God came to bless you in turning every one of you away from your iniquities. That's the blessing, that you turn from sin onto God. That's the blessing that he has for us, that we are to walk in his new life, in his new way. We are to walk in loving obedience to him. And in that, that's the blessing. Now, you remember when you were a little kid, maybe like seventh or sixth grade, And you got really nervous about that test. And that smart girl was sitting way too close to you while you're taking the exam. And you're like, I'm not going to cheat. Be good. I'm not going to cheat. I don't want to get a D. And like, you're looking over, you're not looking over. You're looking over, you're not looking over. And you get so nervous. None of y'all ever cheated. Y'all are all a bunch of goodies. That's why you're at church on Memorial Day. Y'all are a bunch of goody goodies. But let me tell you this. It was easier to just take the test. It was easier just to do right. All of that nervousness, all of that anxiety. Some of you are living that life. 
Can I tell you right now, it's just easier to live in the blessing than outside of it. It's just easier to walk in the way that he has prescribed, follow after the truth that he has revealed to your heart, be obedient, walk in love. It's far easier to walk in the way. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. He tells Paul when he converts them, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's hard for you to resist the will of God for your life. It's hard for you to reject him. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. The gospel is a blessing unto you. Turn from your iniquities and live. I noticed the great humility in Peter. He says, not by our own power, not by my own godliness. How many times of us, maybe we pray for someone who's sick and we go, well, why didn't it happen? Lord, I just need to pray more. I just need to fast more. I just need to be more holy. I just need more godliness. I just need more power. That's the, that's the indication that we don't understand. That's an indication we will not receive our prayers. I know me personally, I had a lot of, I had a lot of dealing with that. One of my really, really good friends was in a bed for a long time and I would be praying, spend all night praying, praying this way, praying this way. And this passage is really personal but to me. It's not by my own life or by my own godliness that men will be healed. Peter understood with this humility that it's only through Jesus It's Jesus flowing through him. It's only him. It's his power flowing through us. That's it. Not by our own life or our own godliness. The humility of Peter. I think Peter understood this. That's why he was able to stand there and offer Christ to the multitudes because Christ he possessed. See, you're able to evangelize and share Jesus if you have Jesus. So many people are saying, well, how can you evangelize? How can you share? It always flows from your intimacy with him. That's the secret to it all. But Peter, notice he has some pointy preaching. It's pointy, isn't it? It's not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's not in Peter's message. That's not in the messages of any of the apostles. Look at what they preach. You delivered him. You denied him. You desired a murderer in his place. You killed him. Repent and be converted. That's pretty pointed preaching. But it's the spearhead that's needed to pierce the conscience. And God is after convicted consciences. He wants to bring conviction because conviction leads to conversion. He wants to turn up the soil of our hearts. He wants to make you frustrated and angry and get cut to the heart and get disturbed. He wants to break the apathy of our, of our moral deadness. He wants to break up the fallow ground of our hearts so that we can come alive and come to our senses and come to reason and walk in intelligence. He wa- That's why God sent his apostles with pointed preaching. So that we would be alive, that we would wake up. Paul says, awake, O sleeper, and Christ will give you life. So he calls them to repent, to turn from their selfishness, to turn from their me-centered, self-centered attitude to God. And he says, listen to the prophets. And then he does this incredible backdrop of history in his public preaching. He mentions Moses, Abraham, Samuel. He's basically saying, 
that if you don't listen to these men, you will not listen to me. For all of the prophets were speaking about this great event in which God ordained that God would send forth his servant Jesus and he would be crucified and that he would be resurrected and that he would be the prince of life. Look how Peter describes this great majestic Messiah. He calls him the son of God. He calls him the holy one. He calls him the just one. He calls him the prince of life. You see, Christ is uplifting Jesus. He's drawing all men onto Jesus. He's preaching Christ, and Christ is drawing all men onto himself. Did you know 5,000 people came to Jesus because a fisherman was filled with the boldness that comes from the Spirit of God? You see, he used to be terrified, right? Remember the night when all the disciples fled away and Peter's kind of like, okay, I'm going to try to follow him into the courtyard. And some little girl was like, you're a Galilean. I'm not a Galilean. You're with him. I'm not with him. I saw you with Jesus. Shut up. Remember that, remember that time? Three times Peter denies him. He's afraid of a kindergartner. But now he's filled with the spirit of God, that baptism of love. Jesus has been made known and real to his heart in such a powerful way that he has holy boldness. And he said, he's not just afraid of a kindergartner. Look how he's talking to the religious leaders. You elders of Israel, you people of Israel, you delivered him up, you crucified him, but God raised him up. Repent and be converted. It's boldness. There's a fire inside of Peter. It's the fire of the Holy Ghost. He says the stones that the builders have refused has become the head of the corner that Christ is being lifted up. And, and then that, this is what happens. He begins to preach Christ to the multitude. 5,000 people become into the kingdom of God. And then here they come. Religious people. Oh, cranky pants. Here they come. They just start, it says the high priests, all of them come, all of their frustration and cynicism and jealousy, here they come. The other day, so there I was in my backyard, here's a quarantine chronicle from Kyle. You know, we all been doing a lot of home projects now because we've been seeing our houses and we're like, you know, just in this time, I kind of enjoy it. I painted the garage door, I painted the front door, I did some landscaping because, you know, we got nothing else to do. And so I've been at home and we had this old trampoline that was an eyesore. It was kind of dangerous for the kids. And so I took it and we threw it away, but it left this big brown patch in the back. Anybody ever had that happen? Big dead patch of grass. And I kept looking at the grass. I was like, I don't like you grass. You're supposed to be green. You know, go green. It's raining. Come on. It wouldn't go. It just wouldn't go. So I'm like, third day, I started looking. Okay, I'm going to do something. I get a rake and I rake it all up. I water it. I get this big bag of Bermuda grass seed, and I'm just throwing it out there, throwing it real liberal, laughing kind of. And all of a sudden, I kid you not, this is a true story, a bunch of yippy, yappy dogs come barking from all, I didn't even know those neighbors had these dogs. It's like little half pounders. You know what I'm talking about, those demon-possessed chihuahua dogs with something to prove, like this is my house, like I'm actually going to protect it. Yeah, right. Like trying to eat through the cedar pick. It's like, and I'm like, so I'm throwing out the seed. I'm like, I'm not going to stop. You're not going to stop me. And then it hit me. I'm like, well, here I am throwing out the seed. Got these yippy yappy dogs all around me. Not going to stop. 
That's when I knew I, was, I had to get out more. I needed to do some preaching. But that's the thing. Public ministry will always bring public criticism. If you begin to be public for your love and testimony of Jesus Christ, you're going to receive the backlash of the enemy. The devil wants one thing, one thing the devil wants, a silent church. But if we have this boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit to share our faith, to testify, to spread the good news of it will advance. The proclamation of the gospel was the primary method in which the New Testament church exploded on the scene of the ancient world. So, he preached, people came in the thousands. The religious backlash, and you might think, well, okay, now's the time. 5,000 people have come into the faith. We should just take care of what we have. We should just take care of these believers. Let's, let's settle down. The religious authorities are against us. They're speaking against us. Our leaders are in prison. Maybe we should just hold the line. Maybe we should just, just shelter up. Maybe we should just take care of one another. But what does Peter do? He doubles down. He doubles down, folks. He puts all of his chips in. He gathers the Christians together. And this bold, fiery preacher of old, do you know what he says? He lifts up his hands and he prays to God, oh God, that you would grant to your servants more boldness. That he wanted more boldness. That he asked the Holy Spirit of God for boldness. And the Holy Spirit says, okay. And it says they were all filled say all. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. It was no longer Peter who was preaching. They were all filled with the Spirit and they all began to share the word of God and they spread the word of God and the churches were multiplied and the ministry of Jerusalem began to go to Judea and Samaria and spread through the ancient world. Peter didn't back down. He spoke the word of God with boldness. It says they were of one heart, one soul, in unity and unselfishness. No one lacked. No one had need. They were all in love with Jesus. Speaking and closing to two specific types of people. The first is for the Christian. And you're a Christian here. And you're a Christian here. But something is happening here. You have Christian thoughts. You have Christian affections. You, you think Christian thoughts. You, you have Christian devotion, but you don't have Christian action. There's no evangelism. There's no conversions. There's no, there's no miraculous. It's like you, 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 you think the right things and you do the right things, but and yet there's a form of godliness, but there's a lack of his power. And for you today, we're going to be praying for holy boldness. A boldness that comes from the Spirit of God. And this is the key to boldness, folks. It's very simple. The religious leaders actually give us the, in, the insight 
They say, these unlearned fishermen, these uneducated, unlearned, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. Your boldness is directly proportionate to your intimacy with God. If you want to have boldness in evangelism, you just start by loving him, keeping your eyes on him, loving and cherishing God, knowing him, worshiping him, focusing on him. And then in that love, there'll be a baptism of love inside of your heart and God will be so real to you and then consequently it'll be known to others the key to boldness is intimacy with God and you'll be like Peter and say we cannot help but speak about all the things we've seen and heard you see it's intimacy with him first and evangelism flows from that that's the key to holy boldness now for the other person I'm speaking to. Like, why are you talking about evangelism and boldness? None of that stuff matters to me. I, I see all this religious stuff and it doesn't make sense. Everybody's going into worship. Everyone's going into praise. Everyone's going into beg. And here I am a beggar sitting on the outside, everybody else going in, I'm over here. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I, I, I feel like a cripple. It, it, it's all beautiful, it's all lovely, and here the religious people come and go. What do you have for me? To you, I would say this. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. He that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. I say rise up, rise up, rise up. Take the hands of the people around you and allow them to lift you up out of a place of desperation into a place of healing and restoration. Allow the grace of God to flow in your heart, trusting in his name. Now, what's in a name? A name represents all that a person is. And in the name of Jesus represents all that God is. For the Bible says that all of the Godhead dwelt in him in bodily form. 